0: Welcome to the Seashore Church message of the week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. I got a confession to make, and it's kind of a good one, because I got here this morning, so I I didn't get here till about 10 o'clock. We've got a couple of sick kids. Um, You have to... Give the caveat every time now. My kids are sick, not COVID. It's okay, not contagious. How many of you want a t shirt that says Allergies, Not COVID? So every time you sneeze in the grocery store, allergy, you just read the shirt, right? And uh, they're doing fine. But I got here at 10 o'clock, and there's like seven of y'all here at 10 o'clock. Maybe eight people. We're here. And and, uh, I just know for me, there used to be this thing in me that just went, How's oh, anybody going to come today? And I really felt like the Lord just went, I'm here. Don't worry about it. And I got to tell you, I, one of the ways that I know that revival is living in me, and I want you to hear this the right way, there could be seven of y'all or 700 of y'all, and it doesn't matter. Because if God's here, that's what's on our scoreboard. Our scoreboard at Seashore is did God show up and did we do what he said? Does that make sense? And then I know we've got kids that make a lot of noise in the background. They actually don't make a lot of noise. There's just a lot of brick and concrete and steel. Everything bounces off. And there's a side of me that used to get uncomfortable with that because I'm like, I'm fine, but is everybody else going to be able to engage in worship? And I leaned over to Kim, and I was like, okay, you're a teacher. Does this ever bother you? And what did you tell me? Yes. The best learning happens in conversation and collaboration, and God goes, there, enjoying my presence too. It's okay. And I'm like, this is great. I love this. And um, so that was my own confession is that I have those thoughts when I come in. You ever have thoughts when you come into church and you're like, you don't want to walk in the front door yet because you've got to surrender them? I can't walk through these doors until I surrender those thoughts. Just me. All right. How many of y'all had a fight in the car on the way to church? Put your hand down. This is not the moment to do that. Our worst fights are usually on the way to church, and we just got to go, not at seashore, but, and, but there's moments when we just got to go, we're going to have to push the pause button and, and resolve this later. I love you. Let's go do church. And I'm just glad that, that there's moments when you walk in and you go, hey, I'm not concerned if there's not that many people here yet at 10 o'clock. I'm not going to beat people up for not being here on time. That's not what the purpose of this message was, by the way. I'm encouraged to know that God's here. And I'm encouraged to know that He can, if I surrender that side of me, the uncomfortability of, of whatever measurable I used to have in church life, if I surrender that thing to Him, He'll fill me with His presence. And it's just a beautiful thing to, to experience, isn't it? I got to speak in Miss Kim's class this week, and we talked about light, She's got a great class. It has nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to say that she has a great class. And, um, yeah, we're going to talk about church this morning. Is that all right? So I started like a, started my watch. The Holy Spirit just said not to do that. Sorry, I'll stop it now. <laughs> Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Um, we've been talking about church. What is church? You know, in an era where there is supposedly a massively declining church attendance across America and across the world, the church is in trouble. It needs our help. It needs, would you please come back to church? Would you please give us all of your money so we can build buildings because buildings are what will bring people to church? Would you please help us do more programs? And, and you, you hear the pleading of a what seems to be this dying church and You would get this perception that, man, the church is really in trouble. It needs our help. But what is church? Is it this dying thing that we've got to put the paddles on every now and then, poof, and bring back to life? Or is it something very different? Have we perhaps missed what church actually is and tried to make it into something that we saw somewhere else and thought, if I do that here, then that will work here but the thing we were looking at was maybe not necessarily God's design for you but was somebody else's design that we tried to implement here and so we start to measure ourselves and compare ourselves amongst ourselves and the bible says that's not wise could it be that maybe church is very different to what we thought it could be and so we've been starting this i guess two part series i don't know how many parts it'll be You'll figure Depends on how long it takes me to do this part today. And, uh, but the first part we talked about, and this is from, this will shock you, this is what the Bible actually says the church is, and what Jesus talked about the church is that the church is his body. The Bible says that he is the head, Jesus is the head, and the rest of us, we're all just body. We're body. That's what we are. We're part of the body of Christ. Some may be a foot. Some may be a hand. Some may be a little toe. But we're all just body and we're a part of His body. So that means that we are all interconnected. Which leads to the second part that I did last week. I'm not going to reteach the same message. But the church is family. It's family, we are the family of God. The Bible says we are adopted into His family. He chose us to be adopted into His family. That means it's not based on your birthright. It's not based upon the country you lived in, the color your skin is, your Bible college degree. You were adopted just like I was adopted. And because we have the same father, that makes us brothers and sisters. Does that make sense? We are a part of the family of God. The great verse that I really love about this is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. It says, the family of God is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So church is family. And in this family, there's always room for more. There's always room for more in God's family. The next part that I want to talk about this morning is that there was a moment that Peter had with Jesus, and actually all the disciples had with Jesus, and they were sitting around, and Jesus asked this question. He goes, who do people say that I am? Because he's wanting to know what they're going to say, and they're like, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, or not John the Baptist, some say that you're a prophet, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this. And he says, who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up. Peter had some great moments. Man, Peter gets beat up for denying Jesus, but he had some pretty, pretty big moments, some pretty good moments. So Peter speaks up and goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, good on you, Peter, because Jesus was Australian. He says, good on you, Pete. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, because Peter, Greek is Petra, it means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, I put this in parentheses because Jesus used a term for church that later got interpreted in English into the church. The word church actually comes from the German word Kirke. And that's kind of an English pronunciation of that word. But church is not the word that Jesus actually used. Jesus said, I will build this ecclesia, this Greek word. Now, some of you may have heard that term. Some of you may not. It may be a little bit new to you. But Jesus did not say, I will build my temple. Jesus didn't say, I will build my synagogue. You see, the three organizational structures that they had at the time of Jesus when he was on the earth was the temple that was in Jerusalem. It was one temple, right? There was the synagogue, which was kind of like uh, campuses or churches in every small town. And then you had this word, ecclesia. Those were the three organizational structures. Now, the temple and the synagogue, they were both religious places. That's where people went to church, right? Right? You would think that when Jesus describes what he is going to build, he would say, I am the Messiah, just like you said, and upon this rock I'm going to build a new temple or I'm going to build a system of synagogues because that's what we're doing. We're planting synagogues. We're, we're planting buildings. We're going to launch and we're going we're to be in every town. But instead he uses a secular term. Ecclesia, an Ecclesia is not a religious organization. It's not a structure. This may shock you. It's not even a building. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to have a new plan of building stuff. He said, I'm going to build my Ecclesia. And I want to tell you a little bit of what that was about. But before I get to that, let me explain the other two. So the temple, right, the temple was there in Jesus' time. It was in Jerusalem. It was uh, destroyed by the Romans in 30, 60 A.D. 60 A.D. it was destroyed. So there's no temple now. There are even some debate as to where the temple actually was at one particular time in Jerusalem. But the temple was kind of the center of the Jewish religion. It was the place where the Holy of Holies was, where they went to offer sacrifices It was a a gathering place. Everybody was supposed to come to Jerusalem once a year to offer sacrifices. And it was what most of the Jews at the time would consider the center and most important part of their religion. And it was the place where God dwelled. But I'm going to say something that might throw a theological monkey wrench in your systems. You Bible scholars can come argue with me later. The temple was not God's idea. Did you know that? It was not God's idea. The temple was David's idea. God's idea was the tabernacle. When Moses was in the desert, I got it this right. I said Abraham last time. Got it right this time. Anybody ever confuse Moses and Abraham all the time? I have a mental block in my brain. Again, internal dialogue that should have stayed internal When Moses was in the desert with with the Hebrews, God instructed him to build a tabernacle. And his presence would come into the tabernacle, and that's where he would meet with Moses. Because in the desert, there was a pillar of fire by by night and a cloud by day. And that's where they went. Wherever the pillar of fire went, wherever the cloud went, that's where the Hebrews went. They just followed it wherever they went. And when they stayed in one place, he said to build him a tabernacle. And that's where God actually dwelled. But the tabernacle was movable that was God's idea but David had it in his heart because of all that God had done for him was to build God a house a dwelling place and so he said God I want to build you a house and here's what God said in 2 Samuel chapter 7 he said go and tell my servant this is not or sorry this is what the Lord says are you the one to build me a house to dwell in i've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God is telling David, you asked for something I never asked for. Now, don't freak out. God said what you asked for is a good thing. And so God blessed what David asked for. He said, because you've had it in my heart to do this, yes, you're going to do it, but you're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. So the the, the temple was the place where God's presence ended up dwelling. So God told David, David didn't ask a wrong thing. He had a good heart. He said, I want to build God a house. God commended him for his heart, but the temple was not the plan. Are you following me? God honored what David asked for. God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle. God responded to David's request to build the temple. And so they built the temple. God's presence came. But in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, here the apostle Paul is in Athens, and he's, he's talking to the Athenians and, and these, these great scholars, and he's trying to describe to them what God's like, because for them... A temple, they've got temples everywhere. They've got one to Athena, Diana, Zeus. they got them all over the place. I might have just mixed a Roman God in with a Greek God because we've been watching Wonder Woman and Diana stuck in my head right now. Internal dialogue, stay there, stay there. But here's what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Do you hear me? He doesn't live in buildings. He doesn't live in the neon house. When I got here this morning, God said, it's okay, I'm here. He's not here because this is his address. He's here because you're here. There were only seven people in the building. I might be exaggerating or under-exaggerating. I'm not sure which one that is. But you know what? That's all he needs. That's all he needs. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Jesus chose this word, ecclesia, to describe his church. Not a temple, not a synagogue. Do you know what the primary problem is with temples? They don't go anywhere. They're pretty heavy. Try to pick up that temple and move it. They're heavy. They're immovable. They're static. They don't go anywhere. And Jesus said, I'll build my ecclesia." Now, let me explain to you what this word is. The word ecclesia is a Greek word taken from a Greek concept that the Romans actually just kind of adopted. So in Jesus' day, uh, (coughs) the culture of the day of all of the the Near East was Greek. The political structure was Romans because the Romans controlled everything. And the religious structure was Jewish. So you have Jewish religion, Roman politics, and Greek culture. They're all over the place. So a lot of times the Romans, when they took over this area, they would just borrow concepts that the Greeks already had. So it's a Greek concept that the Romans had. And here is the concept of an ecclesia, is that wherever two or three Romans are, people that have Roman citizenship, so long as two or three Romans are together in the same place, they carry the same power and authority of Rome itself. So if I am in Timbuktu, but I found two other Roman citizens, and we get together, we are Rome. We have the power and the authority of the emperor. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter where that place is. All that's required are for two or three to gather together. And Jesus says, that's what I'm going to build. So when he goes on and he says in Matthew chapter 18, 20, see if if this sounds familiar to you. For wherever two or three people come together in my name, I am there right among you. This was not an original thought. Well, it's Jesus, so I guess it all originated with him. Jesus borrowed the concept of ecclesia when he quoted this verse, when he actually said this. So when he said wherever two or three gather, they went, that sounds familiar. That's a concept I'm familiar with. Because if two or three Romans gather together, there's Rome. Citizenship has its privileges. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We are heirs. We are citizens. We are sons and daughters. We're all of those things. So when two or three of us gather together not only is God there, but it brings the power and authority of heaven to that place. So when I walk into a building and there's six people there, it's going to get worse. Then there were six people there at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going, Lord, is anybody going to come? Is it the forecast? Is that what did it? Is it my preaching? Is that that they find out I was preaching and not Romy, and that's why no one's coming this morning? What's going on here? Is it, is it, he just goes, man, I'm, I walk in and I feel the presence of God. Because I'm like, we got seven people here. We only needed two and God would show up. Reality is we only needed one, but something special happens when two or three gather. It brings the power and authority of heaven into this place. Do you know the very first thing we did in this place, the neon house? I'll consider this our first service. Was we had somebody, Marcy's sister, was struggling with cancer. She had stage, I don't know what stage it was. It was stage four, okay. It was stage four cancer that was so bad, it was breaking her bones. The cancer was breaking her bones. And so we just said, we're going to have a prayer meeting. We're going to come in, and, I, and here's, <laughs> here I am. Let's get as many people as we can into this prayer meeting. And guess what? It rained, and like four of y'all showed up. So we had about four of us that were here, and we gathered around her sister, and we prayed and laid hands over her and sung over her. And she didn't jump up right away and go, I'm healed, I'm healed. But over the process of the next couple of weeks and months, she is 100% completely healed and in remission. (laughs) Bones are healthy and strong. Do you know why? Because two or three gathered together in his name, and we brought the power and authority of heaven into that place. We didn't need a crowd I didn't need a worship leader. I needed to be the worship leader. I need to lead my own spirit and say, come on, why are you downcast within me? Sing for joy. The healer is in the room. There's one other person here. We are bringing the power and authority of heaven into this place. And God responds. That's what Jesus wants to build. That's what he actually described. The power and presence of heaven. It's why we have our... Slogan, I don't know what you want to call it for church, is more of heaven. Because I don't want heaven to be a place I go when I die. I do. But if I can have it now, why wait? If Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that means it can be here like it is there. He wouldn't tell us to pray it if it wasn't the case. I did two funerals this week, Friday and yesterday. Yesterday. Two friends that I had to bury and bring God's comfort to their family. They both came to church for the first time within the last couple of weeks. One of them sat right over there. She came on Easter Sunday, hadn't been in church in 10 years. Walked in, leans over to the person next to her and says, this is home. I found a home. She died on Tuesday suddenly. Another one of my friends I've known for 21 years was sitting right over there. He wasn't doing so great when he come in. He had not been in church in years. And he came in and he felt the presence of God and he was changed. He was telling me, he was going back and telling his family, something's different. Something's happening in me. This is great. He died unexpectedly on Saturday. And I'm going, Lord, what's going on? It's not a great marketing strategy for new people coming to church. he said, son, they just got a taste. I just wanted them to get a taste for what they're about to step into. They got a preview. They got the appetizer. None of us knows the time when we're going to go. But I wanted them to experience my presence and be set free so that they could look forward to what's coming. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst. I don't want to build temples. I don't want to spend my life focusing on structures. Do you know at the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter is there and it's, it's uh, here we go again, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Jesus. Did I get it right? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says Peter is kind of not knowing what he's thinking. And here it was, this incredible, actually that was kind of an ecclesia right there, wasn't it? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and Jesus is transfigured right in front of him. And he's having this conversation with the three of them are having this conversation. It's the power and presence of God right there. It's the power and presence of heaven. Wherever two or three gather, there I am in the midst. It's a picture of what we have. And right as Peter sees what's happening, guess what Peter says? Jesus, let me build a structure. Let me build a shack, a shed. The presence of God is here. So the first thing I need to do is contain it. I need to build a building. He's got a temple mindset. And Jesus is like, don't worry about him. He's out of his mind. don't know what he's talking about. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, would you just be present? Because buildings are necessary. It's nice to not have to get rained on. It's nice to have air conditioning. But I don't ever want it to be a focus for us. I want the two or three to be our focus. I want the power and presence of heaven. It's why we don't talk a whole lot about money and giving and projects and those things. Those are great. I have nothing wrong with people and other places that do those things, I just know what God's told us as a board, as pastors, that He's just said, hey, just focus on bringing my presence wherever you go, and I'll take care of the other stuff. That's how we ended up here. We ended up here because we were doing house churches on Sunday. We had, I think, three house churches on a Sunday morning, and y'all parents got together and were like, which one are you coming to so our kids can play together? And 65 kids showed up to a house and I'm like, oh, no. Lord, can you help Marcy? Is Neon House available? And she's like, yeah, bring it on in. That's the only reason we ended up getting this place. I don't know about you, but it doesn't look like the kingdom is shrinking. It doesn't look like the church is in trouble. It doesn't look like the church needs my help. Because I don't know how to heal people of cancer. I, I, don't, I, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the medicine. I just know if I can get with two or three other people and pray, God's going to show up, and He's the great physician, He's the healer, He's Jehovah Rapha, He's the provider. And that's what happens. In First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says, "Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you." So I do want to build temples, but it's not a structure. It's you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit; He dwells in you. I had a vision a couple of years ago, and I'm not a big vision guy. I want more visions, like you know what I mean, where you actually see something in the Spirit. Romy is like, I just Romy and Jess, and okay, you guys. I saw 15 angels. I'm like, man, I want to see that stuff. And so I've been, I've been praying. I've been listening to this book called The Veil, which is a great book. Uh, and, and was this guy that just sees in the spirit all the time. And I was like, Lord, I want that. I want that. And so rather than sit here and go, I don't see visions like that, I just go, I don't, but I want it. And so I was at, uh, um, over at Cape Henry. I was on, <laughs> big surprise, I was on a long bike ride. And uh, by the way, where's Nick? Nick told me today, He's like, I saw you yesterday on your bike. And he goes, we're like, is that Clayton? And he goes, man, you look really tired. Nick, let me tell you how to encourage people. You go, you look fast. You look so strong. I came home, and I'm like guzzling Skittles because I'm like, I'm completely depleted of sugar. And I realized it was probably that comment. It was like, man, you look tired. You look tired. I was tired, Nick. I'm not going to lie. But I was on this long bike ride, and I was out at Fort Story, and I, I remember I just was, was on the beach. And I was actually kind of at Chicks Beach, looking out towards Fort Story. I'm like, Lord, I want to, I want to hear from you. I want to, I want to see these things. And He showed me something. I all of a sudden got this vision, and it was of a ladder coming from from heaven. And on this ladder, like I could see it in the spirit, coming from heaven right down to where the cross is at, at Cape Henry. Now that that spot has a lot of significance for me. There was a, oh, should I get in the story? Probably not. Well. If you know the story of Cape Henry and the First Landing, which is why it's called First Landing State Park, There was a chaplain that came over in 1607 with the colonists, and he planted a cross right at Cape Henry. And he said, everything from this point on, we are dedicating to God. It belongs to God. And I believe part of what we're doing is the spiritual fulfillment of the prophetic word that Chaplain Hunt had in that day, but it's not meant to be a political and military and social structure. It is the kingdom of God that's advancing forcefully from that point on into the nation and to the nations. And I believe us... As part of it, not the answer, but as part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. So that place has a lot of significance for me. By the way, that's why we're called Seashore Church. It's because all that is surrounded by Seashore State Park. I don't know who called it First Landing, but you're wrong. It's Seashore State Park. If you grew up here, that's what it is. And we called the church that because it is the first thing that you get to once you move out from that point of where the cross is. And the URL was available. Can i be honest. That's why we're not like dot .church, TV, internet, whatever. It's just dot .com, like seashorechurch.com. Get it. Get it now. That's the name of the church. It's available. .net2.org. Get them all. Get them all. Quick. So, I'm standing at this point. I'm, I'm at this point. And I'm looking out, and I see this ladder coming from heaven, and in this ladder, there's angels that are, are descending and ascending on this ladder, but fast. Like, they'd come down from the ladder, and as soon as they hit the ground, it would be like these bursts of light phew, that go out. Like, quickly as, as, like, quicker than they came down the ladder, they dispersed. And then there were other little beams of light that were coming to the ladder. And as they got to the ladder, they'd go back up. And it's just this constant flow back and forth, back and forth. And so I didn't know what I was seeing, so I, I prayed the most The best prayer I know how, God, what is it that I'm supposed to be seeing right now? I know what I'm seeing, but can you help me with what I'm supposed to be seeing? And he said, those are angels ascending and descending. Anybody notice they've been seeing some UFOs around here lately? Have you been following that? The Navy pilots that have been filming little beams of light going really fast on the surface of the water? Google it. And they're freaking out. I said, what is it that I'm seeing? He said, those are angels, and they're carrying up to heaven the prayers and requests of the people. And they're bringing down the answer. And it was like, boom, like it would go out from that place. I said, man, that's awesome, God. What else am I supposed to be seeing here? And he said, I control the top of the ladder. It goes to heaven. This is coming from me. And I control the top, but you control the bottom. He said, wherever you take the bottom of that ladder is wherever angels will be ascending and descending onto this city and onto this nation, bringing answers from heaven You control the bottom of the ladder. And I went, oh. So it doesn't matter whether I buy a building on Shore Drive or not? He goes, no, that one's not for you anyway. So it doesn't, I don't need to be concerned about whether we have space and whether we have a great marketing campaign. He goes, nope. Just keep hold of the ladder because the ladder is connected to heaven. You can go anywhere you want and you're going to bring answers to that place. And I told Romy this story, and she comes back, and she goes, do you know why we control the bottom of the ladder? Why do we control the bottom of the ladder? She says, because we are the bottom of that ladder wherever we go because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you set your foot, I will give to you. That's the promise that God gave to Abraham and now flows through us. So wherever we go, when we are connected to the top of the ladder that's connected to heaven, with hearts surrendered to Him, not full of our ideas of what church is supposed to be and not building temples and synagogues, but staying connected to the source of heaven, then wherever we go, we bring heaven to that place. We are the bottom of that ladder. And that's what Jesus came to build but let me tell you one thing about this when it comes to ecclesia wherever two or three wherever two or three gather for it to be what Jesus is building there has to be a gathering gathering There has to be a gathering. We must gather. And I'm all for putting our messages online. I'm glad that you guys watch on YouTube, and I don't even know what else we're on, but apparently we're on some other stuff. But I'm glad that you guys watch and engage. But online church is not Ecclesia. I talk to pastors all the time, and I hear these stories that, you know, we're just going to move to an online platform because that's where everything's going these days. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm praying for you because you've you bought into a lie. And for many of these, it's their own insecurity that feels like they can't gather themselves. They can't gather people, so I'm just going to go online. Just stay connected to the ladder, man. Stay connected to heaven and watch what God does. I've got some other friends. We met with them this week. They, they're starting a house church. They've had a house church in Chesapeake. They get it. They get this stuff, and I, I love it. There's more and more of these that are going to be springing up all over the place. But gathering is not an option, it's a necessity. That's why, for us, when it comes to guidelines, all those kind of things we're having, I, I'm wanting to live within every guideline that we can. But gathering is not an option. We will gather. We'll be as safe and equitable and everything else as we can, but we will gather. And we will not allow ourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We must gather. But can I tell you, gathering is not a Sunday morning thing alone. It's not. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be in seven meetings a week. I feel like we are in this season. Our gathering can never replace our personal time with Jesus. I can't let this Sunday service be my only engagement with the top of the ladder. I I, I can't expect this to do for me what I could only get from my own personal time with Him. But can I tell you that my own personal time with Jesus can never replace this? There does need to be two or more gathering together. There has to be that. There's just an especial manifestation of his presence and his anointing. I don't know why except Jesus said it. There's a special thing that happens when two or three gather. I want to partner with Jesus with what he's building. And he says, I'm building my two or three gathering together in my name. You know Acts chapter 5 verse 42. There's a couple of scriptures in Acts and I'll give you the references but not going to look at all of them if you want to look at kind of where we're going. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 talks about the early church they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to prayer, the breaking of bread and the fellowship of all the believers. That's a real key for what I'm talking about right now. The other one is Acts 20:20, 20, 20. that's an easy one to remember, isn't it? That they began to gather in the temple and from house to house. But in Acts chapter 5:42 it also talks about this. And that's the one I'll show you up here today. I encourage you to, I've been reading the uh, book of Acts chapter 5 this week. I encourage you to go read it. It's pretty cool. The disciples got, um, chapter 4 is the Ananias and Sapphira chapter. Do You know that one? Where Ananias and Sapphira tried to fake their way into the, this fellowship. So Acts 2 talks about the fellowship of all the believers where they shared their possessions, had everything in common. Thousands were getting added to their number daily. And Ananias and Sapphira tried to fake their way into it. They tried to go through the motions without actually the full surrender of their hearts, and they died right on the spot. Boom, died. They didn't die because they didn't give enough. They died because they tried to fake it. They tried to be a part of something without paying the real price, which was the honesty and surrender of their own hearts to the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter said, you haven't lied to us. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And they died. People freaked out. And from that moment on, they said nobody wanted to join the believers. They would meet together in Solomon's Colonnade, which is part of the outer court. Interesting, not the inner court where only Jews were. The church met on the outer court, or the court of women was another name for that. They wanted to include everybody in this. And people were scared to death to join them. Well, when two people dropped dead because they faked their way in, how many of you think, I want to make sure I'm legit before I come into this thing, right? So then they start getting persecuted because even though people were afraid to join them who were being fake, they were growing like crazy because the power of God was in their midst. The disciples were performing so many miracles that even Peter's shadow would fall on people and they would get healed. I don't think my shadow healed anybody yet, but that's pretty cool. But then the religious people of the day, they start getting agitated because their ministry isn't producing this. They've been building a temple and not understanding what Jesus was trying to build. And so rather than go, hey, maybe our focus has been on the wrong thing, that would have been a good idea. Maybe all this time we've actually missed God's intent and we've been building the wrong thing. So, Lord, I surrender that thing to you and I want to partner with you in what you're building. But instead of doing that, they chose the other route of persecuting those who were actually doing what it was that Jesus said to do. And so the disciples started getting persecuted badly by the religious people by the sadducées the one that ran the temple and this was their response that's a little bit about that's a lot of background but acts chapter 5 verse 42 so after all of this day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that jesus is the messiah This sounds like the kumbaya moment. Oh, that's great. Everybody loves us. But this happened after they had gotten beaten, thrown in jail, and flogged by the religious people of the day, by the ones who had been building temples and synagogues, but not the ecclesia, that were not actually building what God said. They're the ones that persecuted them and threw them in jail. Funny part about, I'm I'm, I'm giving you the whole Acts chapter 5, they end up in jail, and God lets them out of jail. Just opens the door. They walk out. So these Sadducees were like, go get those guys who are in jail. They show up and they're like, they're not in the prison. Like, what do you mean? And they're over here doing this. They go to the place of imprisonment to find them. But no prison can contain those who gather in his name. Because the power of heaven is there. And when the power and the presence of heaven shows up, there is no prison that can keep you in. No prison door can keep you in because he just goes, oh, that's easy. Boom, walks right out, and they start doing this. I wish I could say that you'll never face persecution. I wish I could say, hey, we live in a country right now that loves the church. They love it when you gather together in his name. Our nation and everybody in it loves it when you pray. But they don't. But don't worry about it. Because whatever prison they try to put you in, God's going to go, I'll just unlock that. Come right on out. And start proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is our focus. That we're going to meet in temple courts. We're going to go out to the people. We're not just going to gather like this, but we are going to gather like this. But our intention is that we also Never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news from house to house. It's why we do house churches now still. So we're still doing the meeting on Sunday, but we're going to keep doing house churches. But what does a house church look like? It doesn't mean, okay, Akeem, you're going to have a house church. You've got to go get a worship team. You've got to get all these things. It just means, do you have one other person you can do this with? Get together with them. If you got three, even better. He said two or three. He didn't say you had to have three, so two or three. It could be you, Yasmeen and Zara. that's three, and just begin to worship and pray. And his presence shows up. So we have lots of things in our church. We've got Bible studies and prayer meetings and, and worship workshops and all this stuff that's happening through the week. That's the email that Akeem was talking about. If you want to find out where those things are, that's why we send out an email. And so we have all these things, and, and we just met and said, you know what? They're all churches. They're all ecclesia's. They're all house churches. So we're just going to call everything a house church. Boy, did that just make everything so much more simple. Now, some will be focused on prayer. Some will be focused on worship. Some will be focused on the word. There might be all kinds of different things, but I'm not trying to go to be a house church. Here's the seven things that you have to have, and you have to meet these criteria before we allow you to be a house church. Let me tell you what the criteria is it's Jesus' criteria. Do you love God, or do you love people? If you do those two things, Jesus himself said you'll get everything else right. They're the two greatest commandments, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you love God and love people, you are qualified to lead a house church at Seashore Church. You don't even have to fill out an application. You probably got to talk to Yasmin and Akeem just so we make sure that you love God and love people. And boy, is there a litmus test for that one. Woof. But that's it. So... Rather than look for one to join, that's okay. I'm believing God will stir some of your hearts to start this in your own home, to start this in your workplace. Not look for a rubber stamp from somebody that says you are approved. If you love God and if you love people, you are qualified in His kingdom to lead a house church. I'm believing God that some of these house churches will grow so large that the same thing that happened to us at the Schultz's house one afternoon means we just we got to get a building. We've got to get all a worship team in these things. Not because we're building that. You know the philosophy, if you build it, they will come. Not that stuff. But we need it because we're just outgrowing everything. And you might become your own church. You may not even be a seashore house church. You may be some other church. And you might meet at the club across the street because there's going to be a church in there in Jesus' name. And we're going to meet here, you're going to meet there, you're going to be a different church, and we're going to bless you and send you out. Who knows? I don't care. I'm not trying to build Seashore Church. I want to build what Jesus is building, and he's building the kingdom, and he's building you, and he's building your family. Can I pray for you? Jesus, I thank you that your promise for us is that if we gather in your name, just two or three of us, if we gather in your name, you are there. And it's your presence that actually makes all the difference. Your presence and your power are what make the difference. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to people in this room right now. And I believe he is. I know there's some people in this room right now that are feeling stirred in that area of vision. And I believe the Lord is saying, stop bringing your plans to me. Start asking me for visions. I promise that when I pour out my spirit on all flesh, your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions. Young or old, it doesn't matter. Man or woman, it doesn't matter. Your kids can get a dream from me. I come against fear. In the name of Jesus. I come against that fear that manifests itself in anxiety. That manifests itself in thinking you don't have what it takes. I come against pride in the name of Jesus. I come against the pride that manifests in low self-esteem. Because thinking you don't have what it takes is still thinking about you and not him. I don't need the resources of Clayton. I need the resources of heaven. God, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, everything that I need. You've already given. And I speak life and vision and your presence into our people. Let churches be birthed out of this place. I pray in Turkey right now with Paul. Churches, ecclesias gatherings, that your presence in the midst, in the middle of Ramadan, God, I pray for dreams of the man in white, that you would be appearing to more Muslims in the nation of Turkey right now and saying, I am the one who you've been persecuting. We pray for more disciples in that nation. We thank you for the one that we got from last week, the first person in that nation. But there's more. There's more. I thank you, Lord, that your kingdom advances forcefully. I thank you that you're with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.